So as we prepare to come to this table, let's uh, let's turn to Acts chapter 17, and let's continue our series. We've been going through Acts this summer, and we're kind of in a series within a series, which is the Pride Fall series, where we're talking about how to let pride fall from our lives, and not live in pride, and We've really been talking about the fact that uh, that pride is not just my knee-jerk reaction. It is my old way. It is the air that I breathe. It was the way that I lived my life. It was the essence of who I was before I came to know Christ. That my natural instincts were to be self-centered. To be self-protective, to be self-justifying, to be blaming others, to constantly be fighting to win and protect myself. And so we've been talking for the last couple of weeks of how do we walk away from what used to be natural. And if you are here earlier this summer, we studied how Christ came to curse what was natural to us to bring us into a new nature and to bring us into a new reality. Remember we talked last week? And I gave that amazing illustration from Spider-Man. Does anybody remember that? you got to admit that was a good illustration. Come on. They're not always good. But, you know, when he got bit by the spider and the old was gone and the new had come, he had been bit by the Jesus spider. And when he put his glasses on, you know, the next morning he'd been changed into muscle man and his glasses didn't work anymore because what gave him vision in the old nature now prevented him from having vision in the new nature. So what energized and motivated and made me successful in the old nature, which was my pride and my self-centeredness and fighting for me and justification, now it only blurs the new nature. It gets in the way of the new way that Christ is calling us into. So we talked about, uh, you know, what is pride? That it's haughty, that it's self-splendor, it's self-majesty self-glory, it's arrogance, it's boasting, it's brutal, it's conceited, it's insolence. But again, my favorite is it's being fat on yourself, that you've gorged yourself on you, and you are overweight with you. We talked several weeks ago and said, as long as you hang on to the old way, one of the things you forfeit is living, walking, and listening to the Holy Spirit. And then last week we talked about when we hang on to pride, this old way, it prevents us to walking into gospel-centered community. That we, we need to put this down and we need to learn the new way that Christ has called us into, the new kingdom ethic of His kingdom. You tracking? Yeah? You guys, do we need more coffee in here? Just flow it in. You know, put it in the ventilation systems. Caffeine. I wonder if you could do that. Airborne caffeine. Yes? No? Okay. Well, this week, let's take a few minutes and let's talk about how when I live in the old nature, when I live hanging on to pride, one of the things that I forfeit is a heart that is teachable. That I can't hang on to pride because, you know, when I hang on to this place over here, this is the kind of stuff that starts coming out of my mouth. Because I really believe that no one can really tell me anything. That I really don't need to be taught. And so here are the things that come out of our mouths. Seriously, I know what I'm doing. Have you ever said that? Like right before you burn your house down? Like, no, 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 seriously. I saw this on Do-It-Yourself Network. I can rewire this kitchen. Or words like, well, how hard can it be? Famous last words. 
trust me. Or somebody's coming to us and trying to explain it to us, and we say, no, 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 you don't understand. I have this under control. Have you ever had that experience? See, when we bring pride, when we bring that kind of attitude to here, uh, it's crazy because we have this filter. Okay, this box in the middle is a filter. We have this filter that we start letting everything that we hear at church or, or in the God world, we, we push it through the filter. And this filter has a lot of different boxes to it. So sometimes when we come to church, we, you know, we have doubts. And so our pride is hanging on to these doubts. And that doubt now becomes the filter by which we hear what the pastor's about to say or what we're singing in songs or maybe what we just read. And so doubts filter what's being heard. Or, you know, another one may be cynical. That we're cynical. That pride has made us cynical about everything. And so we're already suspect about anything called church. Or indecision. That we've made a decision that I'm never going to stand for anything. In fact, I'm going to be like a neutral ground. I, I, you know, I can see everybody's point of view. And because I can see everybody's point of view, I'm never going to make a stand on any point of view. So I live in a place of indecision and it becomes the filter by which I hear all truth. Or past experiences. My past experiences now become the filter by which I hear everything that's taught. Or, I love this one. This is just boring. Like, are you kidding me? Okay, we'll come back to that one. All right. Uh, I love the one I already know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard, I've, I've read that passage, you know? What is he talking about? I've heard this before. And then I love the last one I've got up here. Well, no, wait. The second, Christians with a big question mark. Like, do you have to filter Christians? Like, I know Christians. And they're the biggest obstacle I have to really knowing who God is? Well, if that's not your biggest obstacle, the one at the top probably is pastors. And trust me, you know, the, the funny thing about this board up here is that these filters are legitimate. I mean, seriously, you know, think about doubts. There's not a person in this room that if you're honest with yourself that you don't have doubts about certain things. I mean, come on, I have doubts about certain things. And so that's legitimate. Or how about uh, pastors? Let me just tell you, pastors weird me out. I'm, just, I'm honest, you know, I am the Jonah in this room. I told God I do not want to be a pastor, mainly because all the pastors I've ever met gave me the weebie-jeebies. I mean, seriously. And boring? Are you kidding me? I've had more REM sleep in church than probably anybody in this room. I get so bored. Have you ever done this to where your imagination... Nah, I won't even go there. All right, forget it. All right, because we, we don't have enough time today. Past experiences. I, we could go around this room and say, what experiences have you had in the past that would prevent you from being taught today? And I remember we were with a team of high school students years ago in an inner city and we were doing children's programs, and we had a puppet stage, and we were we were doing the Bert and Ernie puppet. <laughs> and uh, one of the kids got up, and Ernie was going through his little "Hey, kids!" and he, this little six-year-old kid, walked up to the stage and just punched Ernie right in the face. 
and turned around and said, this is stupid, and walked away. And I just started laughing. I said, you're right, it is stupid. What past experiences do you think that kid has had that Ernie saying, good morning, kids, that he felt violent to punch, you know? I mean, think about you this morning. What past experiences have you had to where you're sitting there going, we'll see. Yeah, okay. What time did this start? We started 10 minutes late. Who's in charge of this show? You know? What you got today? Cynical. Let me tell you, you have every right to be cynical. The church has done so many things in the name of God to wound and destroy people. Evident. Seriously. Right? And many of you are in this room where you've been hurt. You can tell stories about how churches have hurt you in the past. So you come here and you say, okay, I'm here. God, I'm punching the clock. So you got to be good for me now. I'm in church. But you're just shaking your head going, man... I know Randy. I've been on his back porch. He is such a goober. What does he have to say today? And then, obviously, you know, we can go through each one of these and say it's legitimate. So, what do we do? How do we come this morning with a teachable spirit? Well, let me warn you, okay? Because some of us have a filter that is so strong that the only time that the filter ever, the filter doesn't go down, but there are magical moments where pastors or music or something actually sneaks through the filter. No kidding. You know, to where that pastor gets up and he delivers that, like, long ball, 500, you know, whoosh, home run. And you're like, wow. And you've got to be careful about that. Because when that pastor, through his own personal skills, sneaked through your filters, it's easy to start making that pastor the focus of your spiritual journey, rather than the God that is using that pastor to reach your heart. You tracking with me? And so we live in a culture now where we love to idolize people, where they've got skills and gifts. And, oh, wow. And I think one of the reasons we like to do that is because in our pride, we have envy in our belief that one day we, we too will be spectacular. That if I can find somebody that I can lift up high, remember, fill them with pride and give them glory that only God is supposed to get, then maybe somewhere in my life I'll be lifted up high. Be careful of that. In fact, our filter oftentimes is the very tool we use to protect ourselves from God. Now that's legitimate. Because let me, let me assure you that if you decide to let God through the filter, even this morning if you let Him through, I can guarantee you a couple of things. One is, <laughs> He will call you away from being fat on yourself. And He will call you to feast on Him and be fat on Him. But in doing so, He will call you to truth. And this is going to be hard, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be free. But it is not going to be easy. So how do we put down the pride? And how do we become teachable? How do we say some of these filters are legitimate? And some of these are okay to have. How do I work with my filter and at the same time come and receive what God has for me today? Well, I don't know. I just hope somebody here would know. Does anybody know? 
No, okay. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. And I'll give you my humble opinion on this. We've been going through Acts and we have been studying about the journey of Paul. And he's been on a missionary journey and he went through Asia and uh, Phygia. And he also went uh, over to Philippi last week. He's endured persecution. He's endured the Holy Spirit shutting him down and telling him, no, not here, go there. So last week we talked about the this crazy, uh, messy, uh, multicultural crowd that God brought together and called the church in Philippi. It was Lydia who was the fashion queen who sold uh, purple fabric and very successful businesswoman, very strong woman, self-made woman. Um, Beautiful woman. And then we've got the teenage demon-possessed uh, girl who could tell the future. And when she lost her demon, she lost her livelihood and was cast out. Um, and then the midnight jailer. And these three people came together to form the church. Well, after they left Philippi, they went to uh, Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, they began to preach. And then they were persecuted and people ran them out. And they left Thessalonica, and we're in verse 10 on chapter 17. Somebody give me a page number? 770. 770, if you have the house Bible. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, that's cool. Um, There's nothing to be ashamed of here. We're all on a journey. Your journey may be new. If you need a Bible, take one of these Bibles. Um, That's yours. And if you don't have a Bible that you can write in, underline stuff, and ask questions in the margin, take one of our Bibles and do that, okay? Okay, verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there to agitate the crowds and stirring them up. And the brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. I love that, by the way. Isn't that just hilarious? Paul, you need to get out of here. But Silas, you and Timothy are going to stay and handle the mess. Anyway, the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Next week, we'll talk about his journey in Athens. But for today, how do we come and be teachable? We come like Bereans. Go back here to uh, verse 11. Because we find that they have noble character, more noble character than the Thessalonians. Because they received the message with great eagerness... So the first thing they did was they were eager in receiving the message. And the second thing they did is they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. See, we have to be careful as a community. Because if I receive with eagerness, but I don't also examine the scriptures to see if what is true, then I become unbalanced. Because now I'm eager to learn, but I'm eager to accept anything as truth. That I've taken my entire filter down now that should guide me, 
But now it's thrown me off balance, so I believe anything is true. Whether I see it on TV or hear it on the radio, I just assume because they say, Jesus, it must be true. And so my eagerness has thrown me into this place to where I'm ready to learn, but I'm just eating anything that I can get my hands on. But if I take my eagerness away, and I come over here to this place to where all I do is examine scriptures, then I never am free from my cynical nature that allows me to ever be taught anything. So... For us to grow, for us to be teachable, we have to take these two things into balance and have great eagerness also with a commitment to examine Scripture. Let me explain this a little bit. Because what is our eagerness? Well, it's the excitement and the thrill that, that uh, man, I'm ready to learn. I want to hear what God has to say for me. And the reason that we're excited is because our teacher is not the guy standing up here. I mean, I've got things to say, but I'm not your teacher. The teacher, as we learn from Scripture, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is on a mission with you. The mission that He is on is He has promised to finish the work that He started in you. He is working on you. And when He calls us to eagerness, He's calling us to put our hands to the labor of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. That we partner with the Holy Spirit and the work that He's doing inside of us. See, he wants us to believe, and get this, he wants us to believe that God is our Father and because of what Christ did on the cross, he deeply loves us. I mean, there is a huge difference between having eagerness for anything and having eagerness for someone who deeply loves me. Last time I was in New York, uh, have any of y'all been to New York City? One or two? Awesome. Okay. Okay. It's this big city up on the East Coast. They have songs about it, you know, and a big crystal ball. And Anyway, okay, read about it, all right? <clears throat> I know most of you are uneducated. And um, you're not. Last time I was there, have you had this experience? Hey, buddy, anybody that you don't know that starts calling you buddy... Immediately, all the sensors go off. You know, I've got a Rolex watch, $25. Wow. I'll take three. There's a couple of things you can assume when someone's trying to sell you a Rolex for $25. One is, it's not a Rolex. It's probably a Rolex, all right? The second thing, if they're trying to sell you a piece of junk, even for $25, they do not love you. That's profound, isn't it? It's profound. The reason it's profound is because we have these words coming out of our mouth. No thank you, that's too good to be true. Because we're cynical. We've had past experiences. We already know what a Rolex cost. And this guy's wasting your time because you could be in a place somewhere watching Wicked. You know? <laughs> You're boring me. I have doubts. And some of you are like, yeah, I bought three of those. Indecision. <laughs> when we bring this to the gospel, when we hear the words God loves you and the Holy Spirit has been sent to teach you so that you can understand all that the Father has given you, and we leave this in place, then we say the gospel is too good to be true. 
That's pride. The new kingdom, the new paradigm is the gospel's too good not to be true. And since it's too good not to be true, listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? Why have we received the Spirit? Listen to this next sentence. That we may understand what God has freely, freely, freely given us. It is too good not to be true. That because of what Christ did on the cross and what we're about to celebrate at this table, because He has lavished His love on us, because Christ removed all the sin that was a barrier between us and the love of the Father. Because of that, when we step into relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, He is 100% for us. He loves us. And because we know He loves us, when He comes to us, we are eager now. You see? It's amazing. I did a wedding yesterday. Some of you were there. And it, and it was beautiful. Because when couples are about to get married, you know, and they're seeing each other walk down the aisle in the tears, you know, and then words like, man, I give you everything. That kind of stuff comes out of their mouth, you know. And for the rest of my life, I will sacrifice all that I am to love you, you know. And then about three months into it, they're going to counseling. And no. <laughs> Not this killer. No, I'm saying I'm not using. Okay, that sounded bad. See, it's appropriate when we're overwhelmed by love to say, "I'm ready for all that you have for me." It's when we struggle in love that we begin to put up the filters and say, "Now wait a minute, can I trust you?" You ever had that experience, somebody that you deeply love? And yet, the pain of being in relationship with them has caused a lot of filters to go up to where you're not sure you can even trust them anymore. And so everything you hear, you're hearing it with this, what did you mean by that? So, if the Lord deeply loves us, He says, I want you to celebrate that love that I have for you. Just like a new groom and a new bride see each other at the altar, and they're ready to give everything in their lives for one another. They are eager to learn everything about the other. They are eager to share everything with each other. So we should be when it comes to the gospel because we know the Father loves us that way. So I'm free to come with eagerness. But here's the killer thing. I'm also free to come with questions. I'm also free to come with my doubts, my cynical nature. I'm also free to come with my my uh, past experiences and my doubts about pastors and churches and boring and all that stuff. I'm free to bring all that stuff and to examine what I'm hearing through Scripture. You should take what you hear here and you should go and open this up and say, is he telling the truth? And if I am, then what do you do with it? Well, let me suggest this is what you do to it. That when we are walking in eagerness and deeply studying scriptures so that we can know the truth, examining these two things together, that this becomes the fruit of our lives, that we start learning. And when we start learning, we start doing. And when we start doing, we start teaching. Let me read for you. This is out of Ezra, chapter 7, 
verse 10. This was because Ezra had determined to study. He studied the law. And then he determined to obey the law of the Lord. And to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. He studied, he obeyed, and he taught. See, here's what's interesting about learning. Here's something about when I come with eagerness, but then I examine so that I consume it and I make it my own. When I really learn something, it finds it has a funny way of working its way to my hands. And if it's not working its way to my hands, I have to stop and ask myself, am I really learning it? Have any of you taken a test in school and you knew the right answer to the question on the test, but you just decided, ah, that's boring. I'm going to put the wrong answer down. Everybody knows that answer. Well, no, we don't do that, do we? We're much too driven. But have you ever had this experience in your life? I knew better. Yeah, I I knew I shouldn't have, but. Or, yeah, you know, I know that's better, but. What's crazy is, is that knowing and then having your desires wrapped around your knowing is not the same thing, is it? We know that smoking is bad for us. But some of us smoke. You know, we know that working out, exercising, and not eating tacos every day is probably not good for you, you know? But living that lifestyle is different from knowing that lifestyle. So we know that there's a battle in our lives to get our desires in line with our knowing. And that's why it's so important for us to fight for the truth in our life. The battle of desire is hard enough. Don't also confuse that with the battle of knowing what is true. Listen to Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appears, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done. Now let me stop there. We are saved at this table we're about to come to. We are saved not because of anything we did, but because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Through His righteousness, through His sacrifice, we come into right relationship with the Father. And Jesus pours His righteousness over us so that we're seen by the Father as holy because we've been made holy through the work of His Son. One theologian put it this way, all of sanctification is understanding what happened to us at justification. Let me move on. Not because of the things we've done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. If I know that I've been made righteous, then that should impact the way I live my life. And in essence, my life becomes a teacher. So let's do it backwards. I'm almost through. I'm about to come to the table. What is your life teaching? Think about that for a minute. If we studied your life, would it teach us the gospel? Would it teach us someone who has been saved by grace and is living out of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that is your tutor and your guide and your strength? What is your life teaching? 
Well, let's back it up. If you can answer that question, then you can ask yourself, what am I doing? Examine, what are you doing with your time, with your money, with your resources, with the equity that you have in other people's lives that we call love? What words do you give them? What are you doing? How do you do what you do? And then let's back it up. What do you know? Because what I know is what I do. And what I do, wow, is what I teach. Now let me just say this, okay? We're all inconsistent. We're all messy. We're all on a journey. And I'm not talking about us living perfect lives because I don't think that's possible. But man, there's a difference between living free and the understanding of what we have been set free into and living in pride as if that never happened. There's a difference. And so I'm going to ask you again. What do you know? What are you doing? What are you teaching? I hope that this morning we can understand that I come with eagerness, but I also come ready to examine Scripture to see what is true. Because it has huge ramifications in my life and in your life and in the lives of those around you. So let's stop for a moment. Shall we? And let's just pray and ask the Lord to uh, give us some insight here. Lord, we ask for wisdom. We ask for the wisdom of knowing truth and believing that it sets us free. We ask for wisdom, Father, to have you, Holy Spirit, examine what we're doing. Search us and see if there's any unclean way in us. And help us dare to believe what we're teaching. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.